partnership and a relationship with God that we can enter into that those before Jesus couldn't. Now, I want to highlight six reasons, um, or six, yeah, six reasons why Hebrews 8 talks about this new covenant that Jesus offers being better than the old covenant. God's people saw all of those covenants as something to celebrate, and they were amazing, and they showed that God cared about his people, and so much so that he actually wanted to enter into this partnership to them. So they didn't see those covenants as burdensome. They saw them as a blessing from God, but living up to the demands of the covenant was burdensome. In Hebrews 8, the author of Hebrews says, those covenants, all those laws and instructions were a shadow that are ultimately find their clarity and fulfillment in Jesus. And now Jesus has opened up a new kind of covenant, which is shorthand for, as you can see from this video, a new way to live in partnership with God. Now on this side of um, Jesus's birth, life, death, and resurrection, there's going to be some of what I, I'm going to say here that you're going to say, yeah, I kind of knew that. Yeah, you knew it because you were living in an age of the new covenant. What I want you to do is think about what it would have been like to not have these things in place, to not have access to this kind of relationship with God, so that when we move into the, Christian, or the Christmas season, we have new eyes to see, wow, it wasn't always like this. The kinds of access to God that I have available to me now isn't just a given. It was only made possible because of what Jesus did. So, six ways Jesus' new covenant is better. I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. Number one, it offers redemption from spiritual death, not just physical death. The great hope of the Mosaic covenant given to Israel was you're in Egypt, you're physically slaves, you're oppressed by the power of Egypt, And Pharaoh, I'm going to redeem you so that in this life, here and now, you can have blessing and flourish under my rule and reign. Jesus um, takes that covenant and expands it to not just the physical dimension uh, and the temporal dimension of this life, but to all eternity. That by partnering to God, by entering into this new covenant, we can not just be saved and delivered out of worldly troubles and issues, and God will often do that in our lives, individually and as a people, but God is ultimately going to save those in Christ, in the new covenant, from spiritual death, which the Bible uh, usually refers to as hell, which is some sense of separation from God, being cut off from partnership with God, rejecting God, essentially saying to God, I don't want to partner with you. And God says, okay. And he gives us, in a sense, what our heart's desire is. So this is a new covenant, and it opens up a way to experience redemption from spiritual death. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, an eternal kind of life that begins now in this world, but then extends out forever. So the horizon of our hope goes way beyond just us as a people or us as a nation or a group of people for this life, politically or socially. It extends out to eternity. Number two, the condition of blessing in this new covenant that Jesus establishes is not works, but it's faith. And that's significant. The Mosaic law given to the people of Israel was completely conditional. If you, fill in the blank, then I will. If you fulfill and if you are careful to observe all the commands I'm giving you this day, if you keep my statutes and honor me, if, 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 if you fulfill in yourself through your obedience, but if not then 
these consequences, these ramifications will fall on you for not being faithful to this covenant. The new covenant that Jesus gives us is one where the condition of us being accepted and blessed and fully justified and embraced by God isn't our works, our efforts, our religious righteousness, but simply by placing our faith and trust in Jesus and saying, he's the faithful Israelite. He kept the law. I want him to speak for me. I want to be in him. I receive his gift of this new life simply by faith. And faith is a word that just means to put your trust in, in, uh, put your trust in allegiance into someone or something. And so this is a, a bit, and I'll talk about this in a moment, this is a bit of a uh, difference between what most people think of as religion and this idea of a relationship with God. The Old Covenant, and this is a bit of a caricature, but the Old Covenant is essentially is a, is a pretty um, clear religious structure. Here's a partnership, and as long as you fulfill and you live up to the calling and you religiously perform, then we can kind of be friends. Jesus' new covenant opens up something very different. It says, I will come to you in your unfaithfulness, in your brokenness, in your uncleanness. And even though I know that you cannot keep your, the demands on you of this covenant, I will keep them for you, and all you have to do is place your faith in me, and then I'm going to embrace you, bless you, save you, clean you up, and I will teach you how to live a new life. But in learning how to live a new life, it's never anymore like, well, you better live up to my standards, otherwise you're out. Jesus said, you know, those who the Father give me, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Once you place your faith in Jesus, your salvation and your standing in God is secure, and it's no longer conditional upon your obedience. You don't wake up every day and go through your day saying, oh, if I've sinned too much or failed in too many ways and now am I on like God's like naughty list and like how do, what do I have to do to get back at? No, the blood of Christ cleanses us from sin. Now we operate from a place of joy and peace and love instead of a place of anxiety of trying to be good enough to, to earn and merit those things. Ephesians 2.8 says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from works. It's not from yourselves so that you neither boast nor get crushed under the weight of what do I have to do in order to keep this relationship with God going. Number three, the new covenant offers access to God for everybody, not just for those who are quote-unquote clean. And this is something we take for granted. Everybody can have a personal relationship with God. Everybody can enter into God's presence. Um, a, A relationship, that kind of intimacy with God, that's on offer to everybody. Not before the new covenant it wasn't. In fact, the Mosaic Law even stipulated there were certain people who weren't even allowed to go near the temple. So you had successive concentric circles of kind of holiness and intimacy where the closer you got to the center point of the temple, which was God's uh, unfiltered glory and presence, the closer you got, the fewer and fewer people had access to that. So you had the outer courts of the Gentiles and the uh, Jewish women could go closer than Gentiles, but not as close as Jewish men. And then you had the priest, then you had the high priest. But there were people that couldn't even enter the court of the Gentiles. There were people that couldn't even enter into um, the, the, the outermost ring on the, this is, you can come here but no further. People with leprosy, people who were physically disabled, who had some kind of defect, people with skin conditions, or who were diseased, 
they weren't even allowed to be proximal to the temple and by inference, God's presence. And this is something that we miss when we see Jesus going around healing people. He's not just doing nice things for people. It is a nice thing if you're blind and you can now see. It's an amazing thing if you're a leper and Jesus takes away your leprosy or if you have palsy and your body is broken and twisted and then Jesus can raise you up to a strong, healthy existence. But don't miss what Jesus is doing at the highest kind of theological level. He's restoring people to be able to move into the presence of God. All those people with physical deformities were cut off from the presence of God. And Jesus, by healing them, is saying, I am here to institute a new way of relationship with God. I'm going to create a new covenant so that anybody, no matter how broken you are, no matter how busted and sinful and deformed your heart is, God can come to you and touch your life and bring you and save you into a new kind of life. You, even you, can have access to the true and living God. This is part of the reason why it's so important that when um, Jesus uh, gives up his spirit on the cross, what happens to the temple curtain? It's torn in two because it's saying now the new covenant is here and it's not just the high priests and the super religious and the morally upright who can gain access to God. Anybody can by coming to Jesus. Again, we take that for granted. That's kind of like a, yeah, but, but that was not, that couldn't be taken for granted before. There was no mechanism whereby that was even possible. Jesus' covenant is better because in 1 Timothy 2, 4, um, Paul writes that God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth and he's opened up a way for that to happen. Number four, the new covenant is about inside-out transformation. Um, this kind of comes back to the religion point. People can define religion in a certain way. I just use it to, to mean any system of morality whereby if you follow these rules or these rituals, you gain access or benefit to the God or the gods or whatever the system is. That's essentially you focused. You have to perform in a certain way in order to receive blessing or hope or life. Religion works kind of from an outside in mentality. If you conform behaviorally to this standard, if you just learn to behave and move through these rituals, even if it's mechanistically, you'll be fulfilling what God or the gods want. And part of the, uh, part of the heartbreaking story, if you read it, of the Old Testament, and God says this a few times, is, you know, even when, they, even when they obey me, their hearts are far from me. They're, by outward appearances, they're doing all the right things. But that's not what I wanted. I wanted this to come from a place of genuine love for me. And as the Old Testament progresses, God kind of begins to give clues and ramp up this idea that I'm, I'm going to have to not just give them a new set of laws. I'm going to have to give them a new heart. I'm going to have to give them a new way of understanding and engaging with reality. The new covenant is better than the old one because in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, he's writing to a group of Christians and he says, you know what, you guys by your action show that you are a letter from Christ 
You're like a living Bible. You're the result of our ministry. You're written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And what he's saying there is, you're not just like a, a group of good moral people who outwardly look clean and you got it all together. This, is a, this comes from a real place. You've been transformed. God's laws aren't just things that you behaviorally conform to. You delight in doing them. They come from a place in your heart. Religion is about living a certain way in order, in order to fulfill a duty. You have a duty to God. The new covenant opens up a way to live and to pursue righteousness, yes, but to do it from a place of beauty. I'm loved, I know I'm accepted, I've been justified in Christ. I love Jesus, he's put a spirit in me, I'm being renewed. Jeremiah 31, right? We just read it at the start. This is the covenant I'm gonna make with the house of Israel. I'm gonna put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. This is gonna be an inside-out transformation. The new covenant makes that possible. Ezekiel 11, I'm gonna give them an undivided heart and a new spirit in them. I'm gonna remove this heart of stone that is always being stubborn and resisting me. And I want to give them a heart that says, yes, Lord. This, I'm scared, Lord, but I'm, I want to say yes. I, I don't know where you're taking me, Lord, but I want to follow. And I don't understand this command. But instead of trusting in my own understanding, I'm going to trust in you and obey. And I want to do that, God. It's coming from a place of desire and passion. They will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Number five, the new covenant is spirit-empowered. This is really important. The new covenant doesn't rely on our human willpower to achieve it. If you've ever tried really, really hard to be like Jesus, if you've ever tried really, really hard to willpower your way into being a better person, you will know how exhausting and, generally speaking, how unfruitful it is. That's why when Paul's writing to the Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. As we learn to cultivate this relationship and partnership with God, yes, we have a part to play, but as the Spirit's at work in our lives, these fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, they just emerge from our lives as we participate and cooperate with God because Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, so now it's not about... Here's the bar. How high can you jump? Can you do it? He's now given us a power. And by giving us the Holy Spirit, there's a, there's a not-so-subtle implication that failure isn't an option for him. This isn't a conditional covenant where he says, I'm going to give you these things, and you've got this amount of time, but if you fail and you don't live up to it, I'm out. Like, there will come a point where you can just um, fail yourself out of a relationship with me. I will unadopt you. That's not it at all. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 1, verses 4 to 6. He's writing to the Philippian church, and he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership from the first day until now. I'm, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has put his spirit in you. You're in the new covenant. God's not going to give up on you. So keep pressing into this relationship with Jesus, keep cultivating a rich prayer life, go into his word, surrender to him, confess sin, move forward. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And lastly, the new covenant 
allows us the freedom to live into the law of love. See, by establishing a new covenant, those who are in Christ, who have yielded to him, are no longer bound to the old, the old covenant, which usually is shorthand for that Mosaic covenant, because that's a covenant given to all people. This Mosaic covenant that we think, might think of as you know, 10 commandments, but it's 613 commandments. Which of these laws do I keep in what context? What if certain laws kind of collide where I'm in a situation where obeying one law would mean I am disobeying another one? Which do I choose? What's the priority order? Uh, you would not believe the amount of time, energy, and money that was spent on trying to figure out the particularities of some of those arguments. And in the New Testament and in the New Covenant, all of that anxiety that might come from a good place of trying to honor God, all of that gets simplified. And the release valve of religiosity gets unleashed and you can kind of say, Jesus has kept all those commands. He has fulfilled the law and now said, I'm going to give you a new law. Romans 7, 6, Paul says, but now by dying to what bound us, We have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Hebrews 8.13 says, by calling the covenant new, he, Jesus, has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging is going to disappear. Galatians 3 says, the law that God gave to the Israelites was totally good, but it was meant to act as a kind of um, caretaker or a tutor or a nanny of a little child, give you guardrails, and then at an appointed time, you were to mature and to grow up into what God really wanted and to set that, you don't need that caretaker anymore. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we may be justified not by our works, but by faith. And now that faith has come, now that the new covenant has come and we can be in the new covenant, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. Now, sometimes people hear that and what they think is, oh, so I'm not under law anymore. Freedom is juxtaposed to law. And that's not quite right. Freedom in Christ is juxtaposed to the law of Moses, which was a good thing, but it was ultimately exhausting and insufficient to transform people. Freedom in Christ means freedom to pursue what Paul calls the law of Christ, which Jesus gives to his disciples, according to John's gospel, during the Last Supper. In John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you. He's just talked about how his blood is the blood of a new covenant. Now he says, I give you a new command. Whoa, what's the new command? This is going to be crazy. New command. 614, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this um, climactic command, this climactic call, this new law, this new word or instruction is to be the law, the new law for Christians. But it's only made available to the, through the new covenant because Jesus, in fulfilling all of the other perfect, uh, fulfilling perfectly all the other 16, 613 commandments can now say, I have fulfilled these. Now I'm gonna make a new covenant. And now those in me are no longer bound to this old set of laws, but to this new law. Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. What does that love look like? The way that I loved you, laying down my life for you, self-sacrificially, self-giving, 
That's how I want you to love each other. That's how people are going to know that you're really my disciples. If they look at your life and say, that is a reckless, dangerous love that I see emanating from that person. Galatians 6.2, Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 5.14, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. So this becomes the new end game, bottom line in the New Testament. This new covenant makes life with God very simple, maybe not easy, but simple. Love God, love other people. We can take that for granted as a simple framework for how to go through our Monday through Sundays. That is not available as a framework outside of the new covenant because there are 13, 613 other commands that are vying for your attention and your allegiance. But in Jesus, they've been fulfilled, and he now says, this is what I want for my people. I'm making a new people. I'm making a new Israel. I'm leading them out on a new exodus, and we're gonna be people that are defined by their love for God and their simple, clear love for other people. And if there's confusion about what love means, you're gonna look to the fact that I left riches and impoverished myself and became nothing, I lived in obedience to the Father and to please God, to do God's will, not my own, not someone else's. I was willing to die for my enemies and I was raised to new life to offer hope to other people. There's more than six ways that Jesus' new covenant is better, but those are six that I wanted to share this morning. But I wanted to end with a reminder that this gift, that this opportunity of the new covenant, which again, as Christians, we can kind of just take for granted. This gift and this opportunity, it comes at a cost. Cycle back into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. There's one more thing I want to show you about covenants that I want to put before you before we move into the Christmas season. And that is that at this new Passover, this new Exodus meal, Jesus says, I'm installing a new covenant and it's in my blood. But in that moment of declaring that, of holding that wine up, that is not when the covenant is actually established. He's saying, I'm going to open up a new covenant. When is the covenant actually established? When he died. Temple curtain torn in two. But do you know why it's established? And the reason why we know it's established when he died is because, and the video didn't talk about this, but in the Old Testament, covenants are always cut. You will read in your Old Testament Bibles the word to make a covenant. That is a not a good, that is a very poor translation of the Hebrew word. And and it drives Jewish commentators crazy when they see the word that in Hebrew means cut, translated make or establish because it takes the visceral punch out of the word covenant and it makes it sound like 
yeah, it's some kind of, like you get a piece of paper and we have an agreement and we sign it. That, that's maybe what we might think, right? When people get married, they go and sign the official registry, something like that. In the ancient world, you cut a covenant. And the reason why you cut a covenant is this. This is how it happens. Person A, person B, we're entering into a covenant, an agreement, a partnership. Stakes are high. We're going to take at least one animal, often more than one. You can read about this in Genesis 15 when you go home today. This is, what, this is how God establishes a covenant with Abraham. He says, bring me a whole bunch of animals. Cut them in two. And we're going to walk through the middle of those animals. And that's significant. Because what's happening is you take these animals, you cut them in two, their blood's all over, and you kind of put one side of each animal on one side. And so what ends up happening is you end up making a small little path, but it's a path that is, that is bloodied, right? All the animal blood has pooled into the middle of this path. And then what you do is each person in the covenant walks through that path. It's sometimes called the blood path or a covenant path. And what you're doing by walking through that blood path is you are declaring to the other person and to any people publicly present, these are the conditions of this covenant. And if I don't keep my end of the bargain may I be torn limb from limb, just like these animals. And then one person goes through, and then the second person moves through. What is happening at the cross? God is cutting a new covenant. he's not cutting it with the blood of just animals, right? He's using his own blood. And who walks the blood path? It's not you and I. Jesus walks the blood path. In his divine nature to say, God will be faithful to this promise. And he also walks it in his human nature. To say, I'm walking in your place. You, you will not be able to fulfill these requirements. I will fulfill them on your behalf. And so the punishment for the failure of the covenant gets placed on Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his human nature, he receives and absorbs the punishment for our failure of the covenant so that we can receive the righteousness, the justification that his perfect life entitles him to. But instead of taking that for himself, he says, I'm going to open that up for anybody. I will absorb the punishment of the covenant failure on their behalf, and I'm going to give my perfect covenant record to these people. That's why in the New Testament, whenever Paul or any of the New Testament writers write to churches. They call them saints. They don't say, hey, maybe if you're good enough one day, you'll become a saint. You are a saint. If you're in Christ, you've received his perfect covenant record. God has cut a covenant. He's been faithful to his part of it, and he's even been faithful where you will fail. And he had a representative walk down the blood path for you. And so now when you look at Christmas, when you look at that manger... And understand the glory of Christmas. It's not just that God revealed himself to us and kind of showed us what he's like. Because he went a great measure farther than that. 
He revealed his love by coming in order to establish a new covenant that anybody could enter, not by religious performance, but by simply placing your faith and trust in this great covenant keeper. And so as we move towards Christmas, one question that I would want you to ponder is, are you actually in Christ? Are you in this covenant? Do you understand what it means to be a Christian? That's, it's, this is very different than what I might call civic Christianity. Yeah, it's kind of raised in a nice Christian home and try to be a good person and go to church. And This is about a total surrender of your life to Jesus, entering into a new kind of partnership with God that is both scary, equal parts scary and exciting, but moving into a whole new way of living a life of love, freed from the burden of sin. But it's that kind of relationship is only possible because Jesus came and lived and allowed himself to be cut to make a new covenant. I want to end with the words of the Christmas song, Once in Royal David City. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. With the poor, the scorned, the lowly, lived on earth our Savior holy. For he is our lifelong pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was tempted, scorned, rejected, tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And thus he feels for all our sadness, and he shares in all our gladness. He was given to pay our ransom. By his blood, we are set free. Suffered he for our transgressions, Lamb of God upon the tree. Let's pray. Jesus, for a gift and an opportunity that we couldn't secure for ourselves, it was so costly. The stakes were so high, the price was so high that you paid it, God. May the glory of this truth just settle into our hearts in a new way, God. May it push past the familiar words and ideas and the nostalgia and, the, and the, all the different um, distractions and things that can occupy our hearts and, and minds at Christmas and May we see the glory of Christmas through the eyes of a new covenant made available to us by your grace and by your love. We love you, Jesus. Help us to see your glory more clearly and to respond to it more faithfully. Amen.